Welcome to a special emergency reaction edition of Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by The Score. My name is Joseph Cacharo. I'm in the studio today with fellow co-host Joe Wolfond, and we're here to discuss the kind of stunning, not in that it happened, but in when it happened, the stunning firing of Tom Thibodeau. And we're joined by senior writer for The Athletic, formerly an Associated Press legend, uh, if you've been following basketball, you'll recognize the byline, John Krasinski. John, thanks so much for joining us. I'm doing good, guys. I don't know about legend, but uh, <laughs> I'm still here, so I guess that's something. So. Uh, yeah, I know. We're, uh, we're really happy to have you join us. I know it's probably a busy time for you uh, out in Minnesota right now, so we appreciate this. You got it. Yeah, so I guess right off the bat, I mean, uh, everyone should check out. John wrote a, a really great piece for The Athletic last night, um, and it was basically about the fact that kind of everything – um, everything about the Thibodeau era in Minnesota was difficult, uh, which I guess kind of comes to the territory of having Tom Thibodeau run your organization. But, you know, uh, it was ironic that the last day on the job was kind of the easiest for him. So if you can kind of maybe explain to us what you mean by that. Yeah, guys, I mean, you know, that, that to me was the thing that stuck out from yesterday more than anything was that, um, you know, Tom Thibodeau, uh, runs things in a style that is uncomfortable. He wants people to be uncomfortable. He wants to push people beyond their limits. He ruffles feathers. Um, and so in two and a half years here, all of it was, there was tension all the time, you know, whether it was lack of communication with players, whether it was his sort of unwillingness to engage on the business side of the equation, whether it was you know, even putting together a roster that won a lot of games but didn't really seem to have the greatest of chemistry. And so everything seemed to be just a struggle um, to to get going and, and to accomplish. And then you come to Sunday, and they play a Lakers team without LeBron James, Kyle Kuzma, Rajon Rondo, um, and they play well. You know, they, they they did exactly what they should do against a severely undermanned team. They played they they dominated them from start to finish. They got off to a twenty two to three start and they never really even broke a sweat and it was so easy. Like, um there have been just precious few days in in his era that have been easy and after after the game he was jovial with the press cracking jokes re- very relaxed the every all the players were having a lot of fun planning a golf outing and doing all these different things and um and and so uh for for then for him to go into his office and, and get fired it was just uh it was startling um you know everyone knew he was on the hot seat everyone knew that he was coaching for his job but um you know it, if you were to pick a day for it to happen yesterday was was not that day but uh obviously the message being sent was that this is about more than wins and losses that they needed a new direction a new approach and um and so when they did pull that trigger everyone was was pretty surprised so i guess that would lead me to my next and probably biggest question like why now um you know the wolves are 15 and 12 I think since the Butler trade Mm -hmm. they've obviously really improved on the defensive side of the ball Towns has been playing immeasurably better over the last few weeks um what I just I'm struggling to understand the timing of this uh and and why this had to happen at this juncture yeah so you're right there I mean they are 15 and 12 um, but they're I think they're six and nine in their last 15 so they started off after the Jimmy Butler trade 
great. They were nine and three, playing great defense. Covington and Sarge, the guys they got from Philly, really just meshed in seamlessly. Um, and and things looked like they were really turning a corner. And then, you know, really over the last couple of weeks, they have hit this, you know, a little bit of a skid. They'd, you know, lose to Atlanta at home and then they beat OKC on the road. And, um, you know, they, they're just up and down. And, and so I think that there was sort of a, um, a an internal belief you know, from owner Glenn Taylor and, and some others that they weren't seeing quite enough improvement um, uh, on the court. And I do think, like, they, they also really decided that and they came to the conclusion that the the possibility that Tom Thibodeau was going to be the coach for the long term, i.e. even going into next season, was getting smaller and smaller by the day. And so if that's the case, if you've essentially come to that conclusion, if what he needed was a miracle to stay on this job, then um, maybe it's best to pull the plug now, get a, get a look at a young coach in Ryan Saunders who you have a lot of respect for and a lot of high hopes for, and just see if that's enough to light a fire, to, to, to galvanize some guys and, and get them going. And, um, and if not, well, then they're at, they have a head start on, on the, the search process and, and, and the whole deal um, going into uh, the summer coaching and GM free agency period. John, I know um, it's something you mentioned in your post as well, uh, that, that perhaps maybe um, the Timberwolves front office didn't want Tom Thibodeau at the head of what's soon going to be like a season seat renewal pitch to season seat holders. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was looking into it and they're at 29th in attendance, which is what they were the year before Tom Thibodeau took over. So in terms of if you want to gauge fan interest in terms of butts in the seats, it's almost like they haven't made any progress from that standpoint in the two and a half years Tibbs has been on the job. How much did that um, perceived fan apathy play into this firing? Yeah, I mean, it played some into it, no doubt. Um, you know, they last year they, I think, were 21st in the league in attendance and made a nice bump. They had 18 sellouts at Target Center, which is more than they've had since, I think, 92, 93, or 91, 90, 1990, 91. So um, there was, you know, fans were getting behind a team that won 47 games and that was going to the playoffs. But the, then this season comes around and you have the Jimmy Butler nonsense and you have sort of just, non-stop drama around this franchise all summer long questions about the chemistry between Butler and Towns and Wiggins questions about Towns and Wiggins being on the same page as Tibbs and and I and I think that that Tibbs as the figurehead of the organization took the brunt of fan angst you know whether that's fair or not um that's what happened and so uh there was a growing belief inside the organization that it would be very difficult to sell tickets, to sell sponsorships, to sell all the things they needed to sell with Tom Thibodeau as the leader. There just didn't seem to be a perception of sustainability and of development and growth going forward uh, under Tom Thibodeau. And so that was one of the reasons. You know, obviously there are competitive reasons too. They're 11th in the West, um, and they're just kind of been muddling around the 500 mark and a little bit below most of the season there are some players on the team where you look at it, it's hard to see them having made any improvements over the last two and a half plus years so um you know there's a multitude of reasons that uh that tom Thibodeau doesn't have a job today but one of them was the business side of the equation for sure 
you've obviously spent a lot of time around this team. I wonder if you have a sense of kind of what the reaction to this move is like uh, among the, the Wolves players and, and inside the locker room. Is uh, You know, I, I never quite uh, got a clear picture of, of how he was perceived. Obviously, I think there was a, a bit of um, a loyalism going on with the Chicago guys uh, who had the previous connection to him. But in terms of the younger guys like uh, Wiggins and Towns, what kind of a relationship did they have with Thibodeau, and and how do you think that they are receiving this news? Yeah, you know, look, um, I think Wiggins and Towns in particular, uh, you know, everyone looked at old school coach, new school guys, and thought it's not it's not a fit, and they must hate each other. They they didn't hate each other. There was not an acrimonious sort of relationship that way. Um, I think they got along fine, and in fact, you know, I think Towns and Tibbs in particular over the last couple of weeks had really started to find a bit of common ground um, after searching for two and a half years. I mean, they, you know, they weren't on the same page early. It did take a long time for them to get on the same page and, 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 and find a connection, but they were starting to find that. So, you know, I don't think this was a case of maybe towns going to ownership and saying it's him or me, you got to go. Like that's not what happened. But, you know, I do also know that both Towns and Wiggins are very um, familiar, very comfortable, um, very confident in Ryan Saunders sort of taking over. He is young. He's 32, so I think he relates to them more. I think he can, they can expect better one-on-one communication uh, with Ryan than they had with Tibbs. Um, you know, certainly not the breadth of experience, the the X's and O's acumen and things of that nature, but they have a lot of familiarity with him. Ryan was here before Tibbs was here. Uh, Ryan was here when both came into the organization as uh, 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, excuse me. And so there's just a lot of comfort there, and I do think that they are going into this believing that Ryan will push the right buttons, will make the right adjustments, and will kind of get this team going and maximizing its potential maybe where Tom Thibodeau couldn't quite do that. John, I know um, the the Scott Layden, um, where he kind of stands in the hierarchy always confused me a little bit because he was the general manager. He obviously reported to Tibbs, I guess, if you go just by titles. Um, and I know in your reporting you mentioned that it was he and the CEO, Ian, Ethan Casson who delivered the news to Tibbs. So where does Scott Layden play in all this? I know you've mentioned that the Timberwolves hope uh, Ryan Saunders can take the head coaching job and run with it. Do they, do they hope the same for Scott Layden on the basketball management side, or are they still looking for a president to kind of slot in between Layden and upper management? Well, I think that um, Scott is a, a guy who I think over the years has gotten – to have a better relationship with Glenn Taylor and, and that the owner, and that's, that, that certainly helps his cause. Um, but I do think guys that, uh, he, his job will be evaluated at the end of the season, maybe even a little bit beforehand, uh, if they decide they have to make a change. I think I know that Ryan Saunders will definitely be given the entire season to coach, and then they'll make a decision on whether they go forward with him or not. Uh, with Scott, I think it's a little bit more of a moving target. Um, but I do think that there is faith in the organization that he can at least steer the ship. And, um, and he is a, he's a good and honorable man, so he won't sulk. He won't sabotage things. He, you know, they can trust him to handle things with honor and with dignity. Um, and so 
I, I think his, his position is tenuous. Um, I'm not ruling him out being here long term, but um, I think over the long haul they are going to look at whether it's keeping him or whether bringing in an entirely new face to run the front office is probably the more likely scenario um, of the two there. Do you think, is it, you know, is it needing to make the playoffs? Is there a clear target you think that, that Leighton has to hit to, to keep his job going into next year? Or are there kind of a multitude of things more along the lines of off the court well, and player development and things like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think like uh, in a perfect world, Glenn Taylor would like to see this team coalesce and, and kind of rally around Ryan and, um, and then and make the playoffs. I mean, uh, that, I, but I don't know that that's an edict for either one of them to keep their jobs. I think, you know, they'll evaluate it, you know, over the, on the global scale on how they see the team playing. How are they relating to each other? How are they communicating? How, how is Scott kind of, uh, I guess, uh, ingratiating himself with the entire organization? Like all of that will be evaluated. And, and, um, you know, I don't think it's playoffs or bust. But I do think, obviously, if they are able to push and make the playoffs, that will be uh, a big statement for them to, uh, you know, a big feather in their caps to try and hold on to these spots. John, Adrian uh, Wojnarowski has already reported that Fred Hoiberg is kind of under consideration uh, to be a potential replacement down the road. Uh, He has obviously succeeded Tom Thibodeau before. I guess I'm wondering, like, how much did Hoiberg's availability... And then also, you know, the reported interest that UCLA has in him. How much did that play into the timing of this? And and do you see him as being sort of a serious contender for that job down the road? Well, I would say that um, I, I don't, you know, Glenn has a great relationship with Fred Hoiberg. Um, and, and I think one of the things that would help a candidate going forward for this job is, to have some background and experience with Glenn Taylor. And um, I don't think it's an absolute must, but I think it would help because Glenn brought in uh, Scott Layden and Tom Thibodeau, who we did not know, and it hasn't gone as, as he had hoped it would. So um, so Fred's you know, familiarity with Glenn certainly does help his case. Uh, I don't think it's a fait accompli that he is the guy. I think he will be um, evaluated and he will be uh, considered for a position, but um, I think that if they decide to move on from either one of Ryan or Scott and they want Fred either for a front office role or a coaching role, um, it will be because he wins out over a multitude of candidates. Um, but uh, as you know, it, it, if, if they were truly motivated by UCLA's job opening right now and wanting to scoop Fred up, um, and before UCLA gets him, they would they would get him under uh, the roof in the next couple of days. And right. from what I understand, that's not going to happen. They're going to evaluate Scott and Ryan um, for a long time here. They want to see a, a larger sample size. And you know, if they make a decision and Fred Hoiberg's still available, yeah, I think he'll be a candidate. But I don't think it's um, by any stretch of the imagination a a done deal that he's going to end up here. Right. I mean, I think that makes sense. I just wonder if you're Fred Hoiberg and you see that job opening up and you know that you're going to be one of those names in consideration, 
uh, does that maybe make you less inclined to say take another offer? You know, if he if he would prefer to stay it in might, the NBA rather yeah. than to go to college. Um, but I guess I mean my other question would be obviously they're they're not going to be looking for another uh, you know dual coach executive. Uh, right. You know, Tibbs was basically the last NBA guy to have a role like that. Um, after you know they, they'd kind of been phased out with Van Gundy and Buttonholzer, like um, so. I guess you know we could be looking at a situation where they're looking to fill a front office vacancy and a coaching vacancy next season. Are there are there any other names that you've sort of heard that might be in the mix for either of those jobs? Um, I, I think it's a little bit early uh, to kind of throw people out there. I, I, I'm always hesitant to do that just because. I know how aggregation works and I know how all that stuff happens and I just don't want to, you know, kind of put someone in a difficult position um, just yet. Uh, I think if we get to the end of the season or if we get to it where where both jobs, you know, or one or both jobs do open up, um, I'll certainly feel a little more comfortable about sharing some of those names. But I do know that there are some people who are currently in positions and have jobs um, that, that they would, you know, be interested in bringing in and so if i were to mention those guys right now and it gets you know kind of out publicly then they're asked about it and um i just don't i, I don't like to do that so um you know once we get to a point where there is an opening um you know i'll, I'll feel a little more comfortable about sharing that stuff no we hear you for sure um one thing i want to ask you is you've mentioned the business side a couple of times and i know again last night in, in your piece you talked about how uh, ethan casson the ceo it's kind of more about collaboration and innovation, and that's not really Tom Thibodeau's um, calling card. How much did um, maybe a dispute or just not seeing eye to eye between Casson and Thibodeau? How much do you think that played into this? Oh, I mean, it was probably a, a somewhat of a factor. Yeah, um, uh, you know, to, the problem with Tom Thibodeau taking both roles, the head coach and the president, is with being a president there are certain obligations beyond the basketball side of the equation that you have to fulfill. Like there are marketing uh, uh, opportunities that you have to do. There are, you know, meet and greets. There are, um, you know, all these business side things that you, that the president of basketball operations has to engage in with the business side to make the business run. And Tom was not very interested in doing a lot of those things. And I do think it was a pressure point um, with the marketing side, with the business side of things. And they needed, they wanted and needed more cooperation and communication and they weren't getting that. So yeah, that, that was a strain. Was it the major reason? No, I don't think it was the major reason, but I think it was a reason. Um, one of many reasons that, that he's not here anymore. Do you think ultimately this came down more to Tibbs as a coach or, or more as an, as an executive. Um, like if you had to sort of guess which, which was the bigger sticking point, uh, for ownership here, like, uh, you know, w was Glenn Taylor disappointed more with the product on the floor or was he sort of more disappointed with his, his dealings with Thibodeau as an executive? Well, I, I think there, you know, again, I think it's both of them, but, um, like, let's say that the Wolves were building off of um, last year's 47-win season. Let's say they were on track for 50 or 51 wins and, you know, a four-seed in the West. I think Tom Thibodeau would still be here, mm -hmm. still be that coach. They'd still be putting up with some of the other stuff that they had to put up with because it was coming at the expense of success on the court. 
um, his decision to trade for Jimmy Butler and the way that it magnificently blew up uh, was a huge blow to him and his ability to lead this franchise. And, and then when the team didn't recover and didn't win at a high clip, um, that's ultimately what you get judged on this league. That's what a coach gets judged on. So, um, you know, if they would have won more and won at a very high level, a lot of the things that people were frustrated with um, with Tom Thibodeau would have been begrudgingly accepted because it came uh, with a with a reward, and the reward just wasn't there. I guess my follow-up to that would be, I mean, for those of us who don't really know that much about Ryan Saunders as a coach, um, do you have any insight about how he might change the Wolves' play style? Obviously, you know, Tibbs is seen as this old-school guy. They they sort of walk the ball up. They play a little bit more inside-out, don't shoot a ton of threes. Mm-hmm. Like, do you see them them changing their style of play under Saunders at all for the rest of the season? Yeah, well, Ryan did say today at his press conference, his first one as the head coach, that he wants to play faster. So I think, you know, you did hear Tibbs say that as well, but I really do think there's going to be a focus from Ryan on up-tempo, on, on getting the ball in transition. He thinks that's the best way to get Andrew Wiggins going, to harness that talent. Um, and so uh, that's what Jeff Teague wants to do. That's what Tyus Jones wants to do. You know, that they have some athletes that can do that. And so um, that's going to be one thing that you're going to notice right away. I think any other major changes will probably be slower to come. I mean, you can't really reinvent the wheel um, in the middle of the season without many practices and things like that. So there'll be some gradual changes. There'll probably be some rotation adjustments, things like that. I think you might see guys like Tyus Jones, um, maybe guys like Anthony Tolliver get a few more minutes than they were getting under Tom Thibodeau. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, he's in a tough spot because he's wanted this job for a long, long time. Um, but this, these are adverse situ, uh, situations in which, in which to inherit it, adverse circumstances. And so it's going to be hard for him to really put his stamp on, on, on what this team can do after they've had months and months and really multiple years of, of playing for Tom Thibodeau. You mentioned, um, you know, playing a little more up-tempo, perhaps helping Andrew Wiggins a little bit. When we talk about players that didn't um, develop as expected in Thibodeau's 2.5 years on the job, Wiggins has to be at the top of that list, right? Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, look, I mean, Towns has come along fine. And if even if there were some disagreements or some things that weren't on the same page, um, you know, he, he's playing brilliantly. He's playing some of the best basketball of his career over these last couple of weeks. And so, and he's super consistent. He's an all-star caliber player. They are paying Andrew Wiggins max money, and they need him to get closer to an all-star caliber player. And maximizing that is going to be the key. Um and so they got to find a way to get more consistency out of him. And if they can't, there's always going to be a lower ceiling on their potential. If they can somehow unlock that and get him to give more of a concerted effort from night in and night out, then maybe you know they can um, make a, a bigger improvement. I've made the argument that um, when you look at the team uh, Tom inherited in Minnesota, you know Towns was already there, was coming off Rookie of the Year. Uh, Wiggins was already there, and you know was ripe with potential yes they made the playoffs finally they ended that i think it was the second longest drought in nba history is 14 years or 13 something like that they ended that but just when you look at the way it all went down and the position they're in now and the contract andrew wiggins is under to me it almost feels like 
no real progress was made by the franchise in these 2.5 years. And again, I kind of go back to the fact that the attendance is dipping again. Like, um, do you feel that way? And do you know, do you get a sense, does the front office maybe feel like, does ownership feel that way, that they, they, you know, made this big play for Tom Thibodeau and made a big splash, and then halfway through the life of that contract, it doesn't really seem like the franchise has taken a step forward. Yeah, I think that, yeah, there's, that that is ultimately kind of the biggest reason. Look, they when they hired Tom Thibodeau, they had a very young, up and coming roster that was kind of painted as one of the next big things in the NBA. Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, Zach Levine, Ricky Rubio, Tyus Jones. Um, Tom comes in, and the the kind of the edict that he was given, and the idea was you bring in this very demanding coach who is going to expedite the learning curve of that young team and help them really grow faster than um, they would have otherwise. Well, the first season that he's on, they have two more wins than the previous season under Sam Mitchell. And then there are wholesale changes. Like, you know, Levine is gone. Chris Dunn is gone. They go from a young team to an older team with Jimmy Butler, with Taj Gibson, with Jamal Crawford, with Derek Rose, with um, Jeff Teague. Um, and, and, and they got, they, they, they got older in an attempt to, to, to win now. And then, you know, they sort of did last year and they got to the eight seed and that was great. They bounced in the first round and then Jimmy Butler blows the whole thing up. And so, um, you look at that and you look at, uh, where they were three years ago and where they are today. And it's clear that they made the decision that this wasn't good enough, that they had not made enough improvement and and so it was like okay um not only are we not seeing enough improvement on the court but you're also not the easiest guy to deal with behind the scenes and so we're going to move on and um you know that's that's really what it comes down to there's one more question before we let you go john um and it doesn't really pertain to the current iteration of the timberwolves but i have to ask you know as somebody who extensively covered uh the Jimmy Butler situation and sort of saw how he had butted heads with two young um, players on that roster. When you hear that there's been some friction uh, with him in Philadelphia, um, does that give you any measure of concern about how things might work out there in the long term? Um, yeah, I think, I, th I think so. Um, you know, I think when Jimmy left here, that it was easy for him to say that, you know, it was a Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins issue. It was a Glenn Taylor issue. It was, you know, an organizational problem. And those were the root of his frustrations. And, and so can you blame me for not wanting to kind of tread water with these guys? And, you know, they didn't want it bad enough. They didn't work hard enough. You know, they weren't organized enough. Um, and so that was the clear implication coming from his side of the equation now he goes to philadelphia and you know there's reports of him button heads there and and it and there's being friction already now some of that can be expected because it's a it's a transition and it's an adjustment and people have to figure each other out and so if they kind of put this behind them and win a bunch of games then i think all will be fine but if they don't um then yeah then there's going to be a lot more people looking at jimmy directly and saying okay is it was it the wolf's fault you know was it uh fred hoiberg's fault you know maybe there's something that that uh, is of concern that jimmy needs to address himself as well and 
that's going to be the challenge for him going forward is I think he's got to make sure and prove to everyone across the league that he can coexist with other people, especially with young stars. And he can be a guy that you're going to invest a lot of money in and you can count on. And so um, these next few months are big for Jimmy Butler and for the Sixers to finish on a strong note or else um, there's going to be some harder questions asked of him. Yeah, drama definitely following Jimmy Butler, and to our surprise, also the Timberwolves. I didn't think Minnesota would be one of the most dramatic places in the NBA this season, but here we are. John, we really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're at the airport right now, so go catch your flight, and uh, thanks a lot for joining us. You got it. Thanks, guys. Talk to you later. Thanks.